0: Hey there, welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast, a space to talk about all things life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. My name is Elizabeth. I am an international fertility coach, ICF certified life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. Join us as we support the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your new baby home and everything along the way. See you in the episode. Welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Today, we have Jessica Veet, um, who's going to talk to us about her journey through parenthood, fertility, all the things, IVF, as well as now her current journey, which I'm sure she never thought she would be in this situation, but with Ashermans. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Elizabeth. Excited to be here. So I know your, I know your story, Mm -hmm. but for those of us who are listening that don't know your story, tell us a little bit about your journey to your gorgeous little son, Everett,
1: how did you (laughs) get to, to be his mama? Um, it was a very long road. Um, it took about seven years and three doctors, we went through about six rounds of IUIs, um, hoping you know, that that would do the trick. And I was diagnosed in the way beginning of our um, fertility journey with PCOS later to find out that I didn't have that, Uh um, which was wild. But yeah, so we did IUIs thinking that that would be, you know, the first line of defense, best thing to do. None of those were successful. We ended up taking about a year off because we knew the IVF would be you know, the, the next step for us, how long was that
0: process? Like of doing all the, did you do them all back to back within the, the one
1: year or, um, we did. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think we took maybe a couple months off in between some of the IUIs, but when we were going through fertility treatments, we pushed and pushed and pushed and we just kept going and going and going. Um, and, we tried before we did IUIs. We had tried, um, you know, naturally. That didn't work. We did that for about two years, mm-hmm. and then um, what else do we... Oh, and we did. Uh, you when you started, I'm 35 now. Okay, you're like me. So. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I don't know. <laughs>
0: do the math. I'm not going to do the math because I'm bad. I at I'm yeah. so
1: bad, cause I could barely keep. This sounds terrible, but my like son's age. <laughs> I'm like, okay, he just turned one. I need to like tattoo that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and the
0: reason I ask is because for, I want people to understand this is not just an age situation. This can happen to anybody at any age. So when people say to you, oh, if you're over 35 or under 35, you know, if you've sensed that something's going on or you're down that road,
1: like it's, you're,
0: yeah. you know, it happens to everybody. So you're not alone.
1: Yeah, no, um, infertility does not discriminate and it does not, does not, um, pick an age either. Um, yeah, yeah, we were young when we had started, but yeah, so we did a couple of time intercourse cycles, um, that did not work. We did the Clomid, Femara, all of that. Um, and then, yeah, we went into the IUIs. And then we jumped into IVF. Um, This was with a doctor, which, you know, I didn't really feel very comfortable with the entire time. She didn't listen to our needs. I would come with, you know, all my research and everything. And it was just brushed right over. Um, We tried to change my protocol multiple times. I ended up doing four transfers, embryo transfers with her. So we did, you know, a whole IVF cycle, had a really good response, excuse me, to the drugs and um, yeah, the embryo transfers did not work and we didn't change my protocol at all. Um, The last transfer we did with her, we transferred three embryos, which in my eyes was not, I mean, looking back at it now, it wasn't smart. It wouldn't have been healthy for me if that would have You know, those three embryos would have taken. Um, So, after all of that, we ended up taking a couple months off and we found a new fertility clinic um, out here in Colorado, which was like a second family to us. They were absolutely incredible and amazing. Um, And we did another IVF cycle with them, had a really good retrieval, um, ended up with six embryos from that cycle and froze them all. And then January of 2019, we ended up transferring. Uh, We made a lot of tweaks to um, my cycle. We changed like the drugs that I was taking. I did intralipid infusions. Um, I'm forgetting what else we did, but there was, there was a lot. And then that transfer was successful yeah. Um, and then that's what gave us our little boy Everett, but I call I his nickname is Sunny. Um, I started calling him Sunshine when I was pregnant. So um, so yeah, the name Sunny kind of stuck. Um, but yeah, he was born October of 2020. And um I had a really, really difficult birth. I had an awesome pregnancy. I mean, it was it was the best. Um, and then during birth or after birth, I should say, I had severe retained placenta. So my placenta was labor and was- all of
0: that normal. It was just like laboring oh. the placenta
1: is when it went wrong or yeah, yeah, my labor, my birth, everything was perfect and fine. I had to be induced because I was 41 weeks. I had, he was long. He was like 21 inches. I'm five, four, he was all the way up in my ribs and I was at my 41 week appointment. I was just in tears. and My doctor was like, well, let's just induce. So we, um, fought on that for a while and just decided, mm-hmm. you know, to finally do the induction process. And we did that on a Thursday and I had him on a Saturday. So it was a really long process. Um, but yeah, so anyways, after birth, he was, I guess, um, normally your placenta just kind of like, it's like a jellyfish and it just slides right out. Well, mine was coming out just in tiny little pieces and chunks. And so they had to do a DNC surgery right then. Like they took him off my chest. My husband was with uh, Everett and then they um, scraped me all out and I went home. And then about three weeks postpartum, I started hemorrhaging. And I thought it was just, you know, after birth, um, I thought it was normal and I ended up calling my doctor and he was like, no, no, it doesn't sound normal. Let's have you come in for an ultrasound. So I went in for an ultrasound and yeah, this was about three weeks postpartum and there was placenta still all in my uterus. So I had to go back for another surgery um, and this surgery was a lot more complicated. It was supposed to be in and out, super simple, quick DNC. but I, I don't know if it was because I was still healing, um, and just still so like open and raw, but I started hemorrhaging after the surgery and then ended up uh, staying in- still there. Yeah. So I was in recovery and, um, waking up, you know, from anesthesia and the nurse was like, how are you feeling? And my husband, thank goodness was allowed in there because it was during, you know, the thick of COVID and they weren't allowing visitors, but he was allowed back there. And I looked at him and I was like, I can't see it. And I can't hear. And I started passing out and then I started hemorrhaging and then they needed to bring me back into surgery just to try to save, Um, My life at that point, they weren't even concerned about my uterus. So they were, they shoved it full of packing and balloons and it fine. I finally stopped bleeding. And yeah, that was about a week of in the hospital.
0: And what were they saying that was from?
1: Um, he, the only thing they could think of is during the surgery, he had to be pretty aggressive because I guess I had just placenta everywhere still. And it was so embedded in my uterus that he was just having to scrape it all out. And I think because of that, and because my uterus was just still so, um, raw and healing from birth that I was just, I couldn't stop bleeding. Um, And the thing about a uterus that most people don't know is
0: there are so many veins and blood channelings running through the uterus more than anywhere on our body, which is why when we bleed, it can be like. So intense because um and I didn't know that until I had a similar situation where like it looked like someone died in the bed after one of my DNCs and I wasn't I couldn't stop bleeding as well. And the doctor told me that I'm like it kind of makes sense because that you know it's made to you know build a human being. So there's so much blood going there all the time circulating. So once something does happen, it's just
1: goes for it. So, yeah, that totally Uh, makes sense. I didn't know you went through a similar situation. Yeah. It's, it was scary. Um, and I mean, trying to take care of, you know, a newborn and then feeling just so crappy. And then the postpartum hormones on top of that, um, it was difficult for me because, you know, years of infertility, it's like, this is not (laughs) what I had planned. So, Um, I had to really learn how to give myself a lot of grace and, um, you know, it it was tough, but anyways, um, yeah, we, so I had that surgery and then, um, afterwards when I was in recovery, my doctor had said there is a really good chance you might develop, um, what's called Asherman syndrome and Asherman's is essentially where, your uterus like fuses shut with adhesions. Um, so scar tissue essentially, and you have monthly, um, cycles. So it's like you're, you try to bleed, but your uterus is sealed shut. So that blood can't come out. Well, in my case, that was the case for about, three months up until three months postpartum. And I was having like the most excruciating pain every, every month. And it was all throughout the month. It wasn't just during like when my cycle was supposed to start. Um, it was during like ovulation time. Um, so it was like three weeks out of every month I was in pain. And so I ended up going to my RE who got us pregnant with Everett and talking to him about it to see if he was familiar. And he was like, well, let's do, um, a saw, I think it's a sauna histogram or an HSG. I, I mixed up the two, but we ended up doing that with the, the dye Mm -hmm. and they couldn't get the instrument into my uterus because it was sealed shut. So they had to like puncture through scar tissue Mm -hmm. and finally got the dye to go, kind of in my uterus. And then we discovered that one of my tubes was blocked. The other one was open. And then my uterus was indeed sealed shut. And it had like a tiny little opening in the middle. So we did that. And I just want to interrupt real quick to see the
0: timeframe of that. So people can get an understanding of like, "Hmm, this was in what amount of time that your uterus, the scar tissue was actually able to come together that much. Um,
1: that was about six months postpartum.
0: Okay. Yeah. Not very long to get to that degree of no. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like when I was healing instead of, you know, my uterus staying open, it literally just fused shut. Mm -hmm. Um, from what I've read, Asherman's is considered a very rare diagnosis, a rare disease, There's not a lot of doctors, even out here in Colorado, who are familiar with Asherman's. Um, There was two out here in Colorado who were familiar. So we, um, you know, had to find somebody who specializes in that. Because I guess the surgery is, it's different than just a regular DNC. Um, But yeah, so we ended up doing that hysteroscopy with my RE And then he referred me to a specialist. Um, And I just had surgery last month again. So that was, you know, three surgeries this year for this. Um, And I'm still waiting on the results, but I just had a cycle a couple days ago and it wasn't nearly as painful, which is good. Yeah. Um, It only lasted two days, but it's something. Yeah. Um, so the next step will be a hysteroscopy in two weeks and just to see the inside, you know, cavity of the uterus and hopefully all the scarring and adhesions are gone, but, um, it's a really, everybody I have connected with, which it's incredible is rare of a disease that this is, there are so many people that I've connected with over it. Yes. Um, yeah in the infertility community just recently, just because I've been sharing about it, but yeah, it's, it's a tough road because, you know, after seven years of infertility and then we have four embryos left. So we were thinking, okay, whenever it turns one, we would, you know, I don't want my body to forget how to do this again. Let's just jump right into it. But now we're kind of dealing with these roadblocks now. I mean, my uterus with how it's, how it was, I wouldn't have been able to, um, do a transfer. My RE wouldn't even see me until yeah, yeah. my uterus was cleared out. So,
0: and <clears throat> uh, before your surgery and, or you, you, I don't know if you said you went to your post yet, but did they give you any, any indication of how likely you would be able to carry again? If this, if the surgery did go well,
1: um, so we will find out in 2 weeks how successful the surgery was but my re did say um it just all depends on how your uterus responds to that surgery because yeah. it could with ashermans it's tough because it could seal right back shut and then you're right back in the same boat Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of women with Ashermans, I've heard that, you know, they don't bleed and they don't have a lot of pain. So a lot of people, if you're not wanting to conceive, they don't do anything, but in our case, we want to grow our family again, if it's possible. And I would like to use my body, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a frustrating diagnosis because there isn't, if you look up Ashermans online, you get the same statement everywhere. There's not much information out there. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, when, after I had this surgery last month, they ended up putting um, a balloon in my uterus and I had that in there for about a week and it ended up falling out by itself, but essentially How that? Was that weird. It what? was really uncomfortable. Okay. Um, and it was almost like, you know, it was a balloon in my uterus and then a thin catheter that was taped to my leg. Okay. So, you know, with a one-year-old it's like, I'm trying not to like have him jump on my lap or <laughs> to rip it out somehow. So, um, yeah, that was, that was not fun, but Um, the idea with that is, is to, you know, the balloon is stuck in your uterus and it's to prevent it from sealing shut. And then they also, I've been on, um, estrogen for about a month and I'll be on that for two more weeks. And then I just started progesterone and that's supposed to all kind of repair and heal the lining. Yeah. Um, one thing I have heard with Asherman's is once women, do get it cleared is they have trouble building their lining again. So that's the thing that I'm kind of nervous about. Um, when we were going through our transfers, we did five total embryo transfers and I never had issues with my lining. You know, it would always, Plump up, and <laughs> the, the, that was the one thing you could count on, right? Yes. The lining checks is like that was good. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. So we'll see how that goes, but yeah. So, any
0: advice for, <clears throat> excuse me, somebody who maybe had a complication during their their labor, and you know, maybe struggled a little bit with the placenta or something? Would you give anybody advice around? Like if you don't get your cycle by a certain time or you start to feel something funky, like what are some things that you would tell people to keep an eye out on? Because the the issue is really is that nobody's literally looking up there after you deliver, right? No, Even yeah. The TMC, it's, they're going in blind essentially, which is right. why you don't get it all. Yeah. Um, So, what would you say to somebody who maybe just so that they can be aware of the potential?
1: Yeah, I think for um, anyone out there that had a traumatic birth um, where it did involve retained placenta, placenta accreta, um, to really just, it's hard to listen to your body when you're going through postpartum because your hormones are just, you know, trying to get their groove back but if you're feeling intense pain or if you're getting like super nauseous all of a sudden, or, I mean, a period it's, it's so hard to judge because if you're breastfeeding, you might not have a period for a while. Um, whereas in my case, I wasn't having a period either because of the Ashermans. So I, I would really, um, I mean, maybe at that six month mark, for anyone who had a traumatic birth and required a DNC after, um, birth to go get an ultrasound done and to go get checked just for peace of mind. Um, because an ultrasound was the first thing for me that detected that something, there was fragments still all left in my uterus. And, um, the reason why I knew that I still had, Retain placenta, even after birth at three weeks postpartum is because my milk never fully came in. So I was pumping around the clock. We had latch I- latch issues. So we didn't breastfeed, but, um, yeah, I was pumping and nothing was coming out. And so that was kind of like my first telltale sign that, Oh, maybe, maybe I still have placenta left in my uterus from after birth. So, and that was the case. And
0: I do think that it's considered so rare, but I think it goes undiagnosed a lot because mm-hmm. again, if you're not in that fertility world and you haven't had the HSGs and you have, you're not familiar with all these things and yeah. don't have an RE to just call it those yeah. undiagnosed and people think that everything's somewhat normal until they try to have a baby again and realize exactly. it's not working. And that's where. You know us as coaches really ask that question. What was your labor like? Is there scar tissue? It may not be to the extent that Asherman's maybe, but scar tissue in general, you're not going to really implant if there's scar tissue in there. Exactly. Yep. um, So I think that it is something that people don't really consider as an issue, but it's there. And I do think that, I mean, even in my own day to day, I hear of it more and more. And I, to your point, like once you talk about the green car, you see the green car everywhere, Yeah, brought it up. All these people are coming up with it. And I think just letting them know that this is a thing. And if that is your situation during birth to, to really force the hand essentially to get checked out, because you see In Jess's case, it was six months to be completely fused. That's not a long time, especially in newborn phase, when you're busy, you know, doing all the things with a newborn and struggling to feed and not sleeping. Like the last thing you're really worried about is that unless you are hemorrhaging, right? Yes. Um, Yes. And unfortunately, that's not the kind of way that you want to go into something, you know, because you're bleeding literally
1: to death in order to
0: go back to the hospital. So yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story and bringing yeah. awareness to all of this. I also wanted to just circle back to your seven year journey of fertility and IVF and whatever. What is your memory on that now? Do you feel like now that you have Everett, it's not as I don't, is the stings not as bad or do you feel like it's still as bad as it was say five years ago before you had him?
1: Um, I mean, when he was first born, I would always think about our journey to him still Mm -hmm. and, you know, emotions of anger and regret and why the all always asking myself why, um, would come up a lot, but now a year out, it's not, it's not the forefront of my mind anymore. It will always be a part of me and a part of my husband and Everett and our journey, but it's not, I don't think about it every day like I used to. Okay. But it's I know so hard.
0: Like a trick question. But the reason yeah. I ask that is for people because when you hear seven years for someone who's gone through it a year and they think, how can I p- possibly do this for that long? To hear you say, like, I don't think about it, you know, I don't think yeah. about it every day like that. I just want you to know that it does get easier. It does start to fade and yes it's always a part of you as you mentioned but it doesn't define you. Um exactly. And you can get to the other side. And through that 7 years did you ever feel like you wanted
1: to give up on it? All the time. Yeah. All the time. Um so that's the number one question I get is how did you keep going? And honestly, I don't know. It was just I was on autopilot for 7 yeah. years and yeah. I just kept going and just kept going. Yeah. I mean, there was stopping for us at that point. It just wasn't, you know, in the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're
0: glad you didn't. Yeah. Cause that little smile is meant to be on this planet. And if you Thank haven't you. seen Everett smile, you need to go follow Jess. Jess, mm-hmm. can you tell everywhere where, where
1: to find you? Yeah. I'm at one sunny story on Instagram. Awesome. And yeah, yeah she is such a force in
0: this fertility community. So if you are having any sort of doubt on your own journey or questions again, about your own birth experience or whatever, I know for sure that Jess will be happy to, to help you in any way that she can. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thanks for being here and yes. have the rest of your night and give that little one a big squeeze for me.
1: I will. I will. Thank you so much. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the pretty little tribe podcast. Follow up on Instagram at the pretty little tribe or at Elizabeth King underscore coaching for updates, resources, and a community to connect with. If you are looking for extra support and tools to guide you along your TTC and parenting journey, visit elizabethking.com. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast everywhere you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Visit elizabethking.com backslash Pretty Little Tribe Podcast for more information on how to enter. Any review counts. I just appreciate your honest feedback so I can provide you with the best support possible in your TTC and parenthood journey. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.